fall, we've been in a, a teaching series called The Return of Jesus, and we've really kind of been honing in on where everything in human history is heading towards, which is the man, Jesus Christ, returning to this earth to be with his beloved people, um, his people that love him, that follow him, that trust in him. And so we've talked about this moment, this reunion with Jesus and his people being like a wedding. It's the thing that, that we think about. I'm not saying that we're all there, but part of the reason we're doing this series is to kind of help prime our heart to help us think about that moment, to think about Jesus who's coming back to be with us. And so we started this by talking about the, 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 the end of all things, which is us being with Jesus. And then we spent a couple weeks in Matthew chapter 24, just really um, heeding the words of Jesus where he says, hey, I want you to, to be able to recognize the season that is, that, that's gonna lead up to my return. And, and he expects us to be aware of the things that are going on around us and prepare, not just for ourselves, but so that we can help the world be ready for his return. And then last week, if you were with us, Dave talked us through this beautiful parable about the reality that until the end of the age, both righteousness and wickedness are gonna increase on this earth. And we shouldn't be surprised at that. And today what I love is, is we're kind of transitioning in this, uh, this teaching series. And I think for a lot of it, it's kind of been up in the air. It's been a lot of mind. It's been a lot of maybe new information for, for a lot of you. And today what I love is, is that we're gonna start really starting to bring it down to the ground of being practical. And so, you know, what does it actually look like for us in this life to be ready for Jesus. Not just things that we're looking for and, and not just in our minds, but, but how do we conduct our lives? How do we live? How do we invest our time and our days and our relationship? How do we put the fullness of our lives within this reality that Jesus is coming back? And so for the next few weeks, we're gonna be looking at parables. And these parables come from Matthew 25. And you know, many of you, if you've grown up in church, my guess is that you've heard a lot of these parables. And, and what I wanna just say this morning as we jump in is that Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 is, was one conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples. And a lot of times when you're reading the scriptures, you know, you'll, you'll turn a page and it's like, hey, and weeks later or years later, but man, this was the exact same conversation, which means that, that the conversation that Jesus was having in Matthew 24 is a continuation in 25 about the end of all things. And so this morning, we're gonna do something a little bit different and uh, I'm super pumped about it personally, but I wanna invite uh, my friend Jen Barnett to come up. And, and today we're gonna have a conversation through this parable. And so will you help me welcome Jen? That's a little bit better, but seriously, you guys have gotta do better about welcoming people. Hey, Jen, thank you for that. Um, man, I, I, you know, a couple things. Jen is, if you don't know Jen, she's amazing. I'll move my stuff out of the way. Um, she's a friend of mine and Courtney's. Um, so many hats, so many different roles that, that Jen has. You know, she is a, a non-paid staff member at Ethos. That she leads our prayer gathering. Um, she leads a national organization of, of Freedom Prayer. She's the executive director, again, non-paid. Um, she's a mom to four great kids. She's a wife. She's an elder's wife. She's a spiritual mom. You know, how many hats could you possibly wear, Jen? And, and uh, man, we're just, we're so glad that you're here today. Um, you do this a lot where you get up in front of crowds and talk this morning, and you're like, I'm a little nervous. And why, why are you nervous this morning, Jen? Um, I think I'm nervous just because the weight of the message, yeah. um, and it's my, my home. And so yeah. those two together, I think, it's a good nervous. It's not a, I'm nervous because this is my family. I'm yeah. nervous because it's a weighty message. And if, yes. if I want it to land for anyone, it would be the people I love the most. Yeah, I love so, that. Yeah. 
Jen is, is a special person. And this is not a moment to just lift Jen up, but I would miss the opportunity if I didn't do that. We are a Jesus first church, but he also tells us to honor those whom honors do. And what I love about Jen is getting to walk with her staff as a friend is that she's so unbelievably humble and so wise and so gifted. And I think Andrew said this, Jen has this ability to call people higher, to build people up, to see what God put inside of you and to call you to live into it. And and we just have a diamond in our church family, in Jen. And, and, and we're so just blessed to have you, Jen. So let's give her a round of applause like she deserves. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, thank you. I wanna, I wanna have a conversation with Jen this morning about this parable for a couple of reasons. Number one is um, this really obscure parable. I just wanna raise, have you ever heard this, this, teach, this parable like taught ever? If you raise your hand, if you ever heard this parable taught. Yeah, so we were right. Like majority of people, this is not a very common, this is an obscure parable. And, and yet what I love about this parable is it has really shaped so much of who Jen is and what she does. Um, she doesn't just talk about this parable, she lives it. And so what that means is that there's an immense credibility that Jen brings as she speaks into this. And the second um, thing that I wanna to invite Jen to have this conversation today is that there's some testimony, there's some, some things that we need to hear. Um, that I think are incredibly important for us to talk about and to be ready for leading up to Jesus' return. And so, Jen, this is your favorite parable, and you spent a ton of time kind of looking at this, studying it, praying into it. Um, why is this parable so important to you? Yeah, I, I love this parable. I've loved it for a really long time, and I have lots of favorite pieces about it that I'll talk about this morning, but I think my favorite is this theme that's threaded throughout that says it's the hidden things that matter the most. And that theme is so vital, not just in this parable, but in the daily Christian walk, it's vital to just our heartbeat before God. And it makes sense that I love it because it's, it's imploring us to cultivate this unseen relationship. And not just I'm a follower of Jesus, but I know him and I'm known by him, and it's this intimate closeness. It's what the parable is not just imploring us to do, but it's actually warning us what will happen if we don't. And I, I think that matches how I spend most of my time in prayer ministry here at Ethos with Freedom Prayer. There's some wiring, of course, that's there, but I'm drawn to it probably, probably because of those places. And years ago when I first started looking at it, um, it felt very individual to me. And I, I think we do that when we read scripture. You know, there's nothing wrong with that when you read it and you go, okay, this is for me. This is about me and my walk. But as the years have gone on, I think I love it because I've been drawn in and even convicted that it's more of a corporate mandate too. That basically we have to go after this individual connection, really strong, close connection with Jesus so that when we're collectively together, uh, we just burn brighter as a church. Um, I started thinking about this a lot in the last year and I, I know we're gonna talk about that, but comically I started thinking about it in recent months because um, we just had this life lesson in our house that really demonstrated it and walked it back forefront for me. It's always, this parable's always right here for me, like a mirror that I look in every day, and I hope that'll translate this morning. But 
This was a funny life lesson, not so funny when you hear it, but one night, um, a couple months ago, late summer, after dinner, Corey and I went for a walk, and we walked down our driveway and started walking past our yard, and we noticed that there's this, like, maybe three foot by three foot swamp in our front lawn, and this was the time in the summer where it didn't rain for a couple of weeks, but here's this swamp, and there's like literal flies hovering, and we just looked at it, and we were like, well, how long has that been there? Um, because this is the first we were noticing, but it was significant, and I'm really proud to say like the level of denial that we moved in for the next couple of moments on that. Um, uh, immediately, I just began thinking, well, maybe, you know, when it rained like a month ago, it just kind of pooled right there. Like, my flowers are dead, everything's dying, but this, this is just like a reserve. And um, I'm proud to say that we kept walking. Like, we, we went, we took our little mile and a half walk, shaking our heads, you know, and as the reality sets in, once you get past denial of what's actually happening, You go from denial to blame shifting, and I thought, surely the city is going to take care of this. Like, I knew when we walked past it, it was sitting on that line, you know, the water line from the street to the house. It was right down that line, and I thought, surely the city will will pay for this. Newsflash, they do not, Um, because it's on our property. Even though it was close to the road, even though it was the line from the street to our house, it's sitting on our land. And so once I got past that reality that it's going to be ours, um, we're relatively rational people, and we had all these hopes and reasons, but it was really ours to tend and take care of. And the reality is our home was built in 1958. That is the original pipeline from the street to the house. And so we had to take care of it. It's ours. And we had to actually dig up nice-looking, on-the-surface grass and lawn, and it was so pretty. It was green, and then all of a sudden, it's just mud, you know, from the street to the house. We had to dig it up because this original pipeline, this source, is broken and leaking out. I don't know how long it was that way, how long it was, you know, dysfunctional, but we didn't know about it till disaster, until we could really, really see it. And there wasn't evidence for us until it was too late. And here's the thing, no one wants to go digging up healthy looking ground unnecessarily. Nobody says, you know, we have an old house, let's just go ahead and wreck our whole yard and take care of this pipeline because eventually it's gonna run out. I mean, in my rational yet irrational mind, I always knew this was coming, but I was like, it'll probably make it till I die. (laughs) It's not. It's not going to make it till I die. And so I love this parable because there's this really sobering warning that while we don't want to dig up healthy-looking ground on top to see what's underneath, maybe we should. Maybe we're supposed to go digging and looking for this unseen need before it's too late. Because here's the reality of this parable. There's a need in all of us. It's unseen. It's underneath. And we have to tend the unseen need. Yeah, that's really good, Jen. I, lo- I love that analogy. And I think even when you hear that, you're like, what are we about to do? Are we, we going to go digging today? Dig it and, all up. And, you know, <laughs> the, the reality is, though, that this is a sobering conversation. And, 
And there is, but this is what we do. This is what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Like talk about the deep things and the hard things. And so, you know, reading through this parable, it's not a simple parable to interpret. You know, I have this ESV study Bible and it mentions a few things, but it just kind of skips over it because it's like, what in the world do you do with this parable? But you've been sitting in it a long time. And what are some things in this parable, some details in this parable that the light bulb went off for you, where it was eye-opening, it was convicting, what turned your heart, where this parable that's kind of obscure, like what's going on to, oh my goodness, this is so practical. So unpack that a little bit. Yeah, so when we look at Matthew 25, I think when we look at all the parables, the symbolism in the parable is really important to be able to understand it. And I've sat with this for a lot of years. So what I'm offering today, if you hear something that sounds like, oh wow, that's impressive, I probably stole it from commentaries. And so I've just studied it. I've asked different Bible people, like what do you think this is? And what do you think this is? Um, And so here's what I just open-handedly offer this morning for consideration. I encourage you to check it out and look at it too. Um, We know in the parable, we start out with 10 maidens, some of your translations say virgins, some say bridesmaids. I'm gonna call them bridesmaids just because it helps us get into that symbolism of the wedding party. And you have five foolish and five wise bridesmaids in this wedding party. And we again have to clear out our American wedding culture. This looked really different. It's a Jewish wedding that's happening. And some of you have had bridesmaids or you've been bridesmaids. And so that ratio of 50-50 wise and smart, you're like, that's about right. You've seen that. All of you were the wise ones. None of you were acting the fool, I'm sure. And so we have this Jewish wedding party and these bridesmaids, all 10 of them had lamps. And these aren't our like plug-in lamps that looked more like this, think like, old-fashioned teapot combined with a genie lamp. It's kind of got a dip like that. They have lamps, and all those lamps needed a reserve of oil. There's fuel in those lamps. And so if you're used to carrying around these lamps like they were, um, you aren't really focused on what's underneath all the time. You're focused on not dropping the, the ceramic or the clay lamp, and you're focused on making sure that the light's okay. You're protecting the light but there's this reservoir of energy underneath that that has to be replenished. And again, it's that picture of what you can't see has to be tended to. And all 10 bridesmaids had these lamps and they understood that those lamps needed fuel to burn. And so when I read the passage, I infer that at least at the beginning, all of them had some oil because they're all in the wedding party, foolish and wise. So they start with at least some oil because they're expectant that this party is gonna start pretty soon. But the foolish ones took no extra oil with them. The five wise, it says, they took flask of oil. So imagine holding your lamp, it's got some oil in it, and they have these little bags of extra oil just in case they have the reserve. And I love this because we have to have spiritual eyes on that unseen need that our oil can burn up and it can be used. And if we don't have extra, we're left without. That's one of the main points of the parable. And we should assume that we're gonna run out and prepare for it. Now, I know 
how human minds work, and some of you have already stopped listening right now because you assume, well, I'm a wise bridesmaid. I don't, I don't need to, to listen to this. And you're the same people that run your car out to empty and see how far you can go past that. You're like, I read the manual. I've got at least more, 10 more miles. It's not really empty. I can do this, right? And so it's dangerous to assume that you have all the extra you might need, and it's our sinful human nature to play the odds there. Um, it's, not, it's not adventurous, it's actually dangerous. Um, you have to understand that there's some sort of underlying problem, and I don't, I don't care how long I've been a Christian, how long some of you have been a Christian, this parable is meant to sober us up to the reality that there might actually be a deficit there might actually be a need there. I have the privilege in my friend group of having so many friends that are current nurses or former nurses. There's a high percentage just in my, my family of friends of current nurses, former nurses. And common to all of them is this underlying fear that they'll be a bad nurse or they'll do something wrong or they'll mess it up, and I watch them just take their patience and fret over them week after week after week. Those are wise nurses who were worried about something going wrong. The foolish nurses don't give it a thought at all. Even if you believe this morning that you're likely a wise bridesmaid, and I would say that many in here are, I would beg you to assume for the sake of this morning's conversation that you're a foolish one and prepare accordingly. These bridesmaids are in a wedding party and that wedding party represents the church at the end of the age. And this church is the one that will exist right before the return of the Lord. And before you write this off and think, well, I don't need to engage this because that's obviously not me, that's gonna happen much later, I would beg you to ask the question, how do you know it's not? How do you know you're not that church? And if not you, how do you not know that you might be the generation that's preparing the generation that will be? I think it's meant for us to hold like this and sit with it and go, how do we know? And if we are, then what's our responsibility? The groom is Jesus. They know he's coming, they're, they're a party, they're, they're ready. They're expecting him and they have an idea of when he's coming. Again, think Jewish wedding ceremony, but they don't know quite when and he's delayed. He's showing up in their mind a little later than they would want him to. But if you have the reserve of oil, the bags of oil, it doesn't matter, you're still burning. You're still ready, you still have a light. And the time of day in the parable is really important too because it's midnight. It's the dark of night. That's the hardest time to wake up, to wake up physically, to wake up spiritually. And it's this prophetic picture that's pointing to the church at the end that will have to withstand just unimaginable suffering and persecution and evil. So it's the, the nighttime, that time of day is really important there. I would offer that the actual lamp represents our heart before God and the public display of ministry that follows. So it's this outward thing. You see the light, you see the lamp. It's this public display. And the oil, 
my very favorite part next to Jesus, the groom, is this abiding, connected place with God. And it happens when we're led by the Spirit. You can't have oil without the Spirit, and that matches throughout the narrative of Scripture. That oil is hidden. It's underneath. It's at the bottom of the lamp where no one can see it. And that oil, it's so important. I've sat with that for such a long time because I read this and I'm like, we have to know what this oil is. It's extremely important. It's that 24 hours a day, seven day a week, nonstop abiding connection with God. It's that place that gets filled up in the secret time with God that nobody sees, nobody knows about. It's just you and him. It's hidden. That bridegroom Jesus, he's coming to receive his bride, his inheritance, the church. That's us. That's me and you. And the 10 bridesmaids are representative of that church. And that church is going out at night waiting for him. So the church is seen. Those lights in darkness are important in this time. It's a public display. You would notice it. The lamps are public, but the oil is that connected place with the Spirit. It's what's inside our hearts that matter here. Not how impressive our outward lives are, not how impressive it is what we say, not how impressive our ministry or work is, not even how many souls we lead to Jesus. This parable says it is all about the oil. You can read your Bible and pray, and I encourage you to do that. I do that too. You can check that off your list each day, but that is not abiding oil. It's a stepping stone to get there, but there are plenty of people who read their Bible and pray every day, and it's a religious activity separated and distant from the presence of God. Oil is up close. Oil is not works-based. It's that place of rest. It's that place of delight in the Lord looks like finding a couple of verses in scripture and thinking about them and chewing on them with God and letting his spirit just unpack it and speak to you about it throughout the day. Not because someone told you you have to do that in your quiet time, not because you have a read the Bible through the year checklist and this is what you're doing. You're chewing on it because it delights you and you love him and you just wanna know his heart. That's oil. It's loving the word like that. It's rejoicing and adoring God, stopping right in the middle of a sentence and in awe going, you are unlike anyone else. You are the most beautiful. Sort of like a secret garden where around every turn there's treasure, that's oil with God. Oil is being still and being filled up no agenda, no intercessory list, and I have both of those, I assure you. This is different. This is being still and being filled. It's just wanting to be in his presence. It's beholding him. It's near. It's safe. It's at rest. And hear me, this is really important. It is content with God, but a longing ache for more. 
It's I'm content in your presence right now, but I am longing. It is not enough. I need you more. It's missing the Lord. Even when you're near to him, it's needing more, more of him. And if that's oil, if that's daily being filled, constant, like never disconnected, if that's oil, then we should all raise our hands this morning and acknowledge there is depletion there. I could go first and say that. I am always going, I need more oil. Where's the oil? I have to get it. This thing jumped in the way of it. I can feel the level going down. Our lamps could be really pretty in here, but without oil, they're useless. We have to be about getting oil. Yeah, and I love, there's a, a weight that sits in when you even talk about this, Jen, of, of how the American, maybe not even just American, but the church, we are so content to play the game, to put on the face, to, to make it look like, like we just spend so much time, and I don't think we do this intentionally, but so often it becomes, we're like the Pharisees, where we just get so caught up in doing the thing, and we miss the heart of it. And the heart of it is the thing that matters most. It's the connection with the Lord. And so, you know, I, there's a, you did an amazing job speaking through that. There's more I want us to just keep wrestling with. Um, you've had a hard year, personally. Um, Jen, her dad passed away unexpectedly. Her brother passed away, a dear friend in Texas. Um, lots of other things. And you, you see all these things that have happened to Jen, and yet what I have seen is that you've been so anchored, um, so unshaken, um, not perfect, obviously, but um, man, there has been this resilient hope and joy that I've seen from you. And, you know, to be able to witness that firsthand, it, it, it is so, you know, it, it just gets your attention because it's not the way that the world responds and in a good way. And so how has this passage, these things that you're talking about, how has it impacted the way that you personally have walked through the hard things of this past year? Um, yeah, thank you. I don't know about, I mean, definitely anchored in the Lord, but pretty desperate. And I guess, you know, biblically, you can make a case that weakness and desperation is what makes you look strong. But I, I feel like in this year, um, it's really been more about desperation. And I think I really learned the secret, or at least started to learn the secret of oil about 14 years ago in a different season of suffering. And um, in the season, I lost my knees, my physical knees, couldn't walk well, limping, crazy disease that no one could figure out. And just in some pretty excruciating, mind-numbing pain for a good two or three years. And in that season, I was really desperate for the Lord to heal me. I've loved him almost my whole life and really believed that he could. I had seen him do it. And um, that's a good thing to pray. And I just want to clarify, I see the Lord heal people all the time. Um, but my prayer was pretty single-minded, focused on, God, you've got to fix this because I have small children and I am just losing my grip. And my prayers in that season were really outcome-based. Um, again, nothing really wrong with that, but I was drowning in the battle that came with that. And something switched in that season 14 years ago of suffering where it became not about what God could do for me because it just, this unknown went on and on and on, but about God being near to me. Because if he was near, I knew no matter what, I was gonna be okay. 
I knew I could do it. Not that it'd be easy and I'd be smiley about it all the time, but I knew I could hold on to joy and I could navigate it. And so I just became desperate for him to be near. And I wasn't mad at him for what was happening. I wasn't terrified anymore. I was at the beginning. That was a a real battle. I wasn't bitter. I just became single-minded, focused on the nearness of Jesus, just looking for him in every wretched hospital room, procedure, surgery. Like, where are you? I just have to find you. Um, I didn't have to be healed. I just had to be near. And I can remember being on my face praying when that switched for me. It was, it was pretty um, life-altering in this last year. And I, I would never undermine the last year. It's, it's been one of the harder ones for me, for my whole family. Um, because I had learned oil years before, it was already there in this season. So that's good. There were some years of reserve But I was really aware that in the middle of my grief and loss that was pretty deep and is still still there, grief and loss are like that, um, that the reserve of oil over here, not even the oil here, but my bags of oil, they were diminishing, not because I was upset at God. He was very near and very present, just because of the chaos of that season, just sickness and death and funerals and all the administrative task and the transition for our family and travel, like my reserves were going. And then I was aware one day, hey, I'm, I'm operating, I can feel it tangibly at about 75% of the tank full. And because I knew the secret of oil years before, that felt really foreign and scary to me. Um, it felt numb. Um, And so grief and loss are one thing, but this parable says that the oil and the reserves should stay. And I just started looking really closely at, okay, so what's happening here? Um, Because yes, while my year was hard, it was hard for our whole family, um, it's not end of the age hard. And this parable, because it sits like a mirror for me, I was looking at my current season and going, that's hard, but this is way harder, and do I have enough oil for that? And if my reserve's gone and I'm operating at 75%, how do I get enough oil to be able to navigate current events that we're watching on the news right now? I, I can't even watch it. I read the news and I go, is my oil tank and my reserve strong enough to withstand that? It's a good question to ask. Um, before the hard year, some weeks before, I was praying, ironically, and asking the Lord in my home office, and this was my prayer, I kid you not, Lord, I remember 14 years ago, and the nearness, that place where you were so close, and I miss you like that. I'm always praying to the Lord, I miss him, even when he's right here. And I was like, Lord, I miss you like that. Can we do that without suffering? (laughs) you know, the answer. I mean, there's something to that, right? We don't like to talk about it. There's a divine tension in what suffering produces in reserves of oil because you're desperate. Like you need him more than anything else. So I was having that prayer and because the Lord's good and he speaks to his people, weeks went on and I I remember telling Corey, hey, I think suffering's coming think I'm going to lose my knees. That's all I could think of. Like, my knees are going to go. They're fake. They're 
their titanium. They're pretty awesome, but they're gonna go at some point, unless the Lord decides otherwise. So I looked at Corey, I was like, I think my knees are gonna go. I'm not having problems. I just feel suffering coming. So I was right about the suffering, wrong about the details. And so that divine tension, I could go through this year, and maybe this is what you're referring to, and know there's gold on the other side if I can walk it anchored and near. And so in this season, I've been moved not by, I'm doing this well, I've been moved by my own deficit. Um, He's been present, the Lord has in this time, but I really resonate with the bride in Song of Solomon whose heart cry is, if you find my beloved, tell him that I am lovesick. If you find my beloved, tell him that I'm heartsick and I just miss him and I need him. And we should pay attention because the Bible interprets the Bible, right? Song of Solomon, that bride, again, it's bride and groom imagery. And I would offer, it's another picture of the church at the end of the age. And she's in the street. She's lost the tangible nearness with God that she had with the groom. And she has just been beaten publicly, like persecuted to some degree that we can't even imagine. And she doesn't even care. She's running through the street going, where is my beloved? That's all I need. She's not mad. She's not bitter. She's, she's not angry at her circumstances. She's just going, I have to be near. I have to get up close to him. And the onlookers go, what kind of beloved is that? That she's not offended by what's happening. She says, if you find him, tell him I'm lovesick. And I'll be honest, I haven't arrived at that place of overflowing, but I think about it every single day. I'm desperate. How many life circumstances, just circumstances, not even like distance with God, just circumstances make us miss that closeness. How much distraction hijacks our ability to get oil? I mean, Corey and I were talking about this just the other day. How much distraction gets in the way of just life on this earth right now? How many of us can get really busy with the holy work of doing things for God and those reserves just go down and get depleted? I'm just constantly aware of my need. And I go running back to the Lord, repenting and desperate and saying, fill me acknowledging my ability to live off scraps when there's this banquet table of oil. And I'm like, no, I'll just take this. That's scary. That should sober us up. That's what this passage does. It sobers us up. It's supposed to shake us. That's why it's there. Yeah, I appreciate you even just kind of sharing your own, like, it's going down. I felt it going down because it's easy to look at a leader and to just assume, well, you're so different. You're just, you know, the Michael Jordan of, you know, of spiritual world. And you just, you know, you play through the flu, you know, like, and, (laughs) and, you know, we know you can. And, uh, (laughs) but just even, I think it, it puts us on the same page. And so what it does is it goes, okay, hey, you're not just some elevated, you weren't born on third base. But what I see in your life is, and what I think the divide is, what do you do when you notice the reserve compared to what so many of us do when the reserve is low? That we feel it in our hearts. We know that the connections, oh, we haven't heard from you, God. We're not walking with you, God. 
I'm just gonna watch Netflix or I'm just gonna, you know, watch another football game today. And, you know, those things in themselves are not evil. But what I love is I think you're going, hey, when you start to notice the gauge going down, this is how you refill the gauge. And, you know, I know you're gonna talk about this. One of the most um, beneficial things for my own personal life, my personal relationship with Jesus has been um, my freedom prayers. And I've done several of them. And, you know, I remember a lady from our house church one time saying, yeah, I get up in the morning and, you know, I, if I don't get three hours with God, it's not enough. And I'm like, three hours? And I, I couldn't even, you know, comprehend that. And I'm not saying I'm there yet, but what Freedom Prayer has helped me is to enjoy lingering in the presence of the Lord, of wanting to be in God's presence. And so a couple of questions. What would you say to someone who's never done Freedom Prayer? And then talk about, very practically, what does it look like to get oil? Because I know the worst thing that we could do is just to be like, hey, our reserve's going down, and us not go, but here's how you can fill it up. So you talk through, what would you say to, I mean, how do we get more oil? Yeah, so I love talking about this just because in my mind, in my experience, and it's the reason why I've been committed to Freedom Prayer for 26 years, is that it is one of the best places I know to get oil. I mean, very simply, if you're listening and you're thinking, how do I practically do this? I don't even know if I have it. I mean, I believe that getting oil can be discipled. If it's the most important thing, I would say it's extremely important, definitely in this parable, but just in the Christian walk. Freedom prayer is just a safe space to learn how to get oil. And I know Freedom Prayer has all sorts of different reputations, like you come in and you have to be really messed up and it's all your stuff. I mean, we're all really messed up, so we can just level that. I mean, what's, I think, helpful in Freedom Prayer, if you come in with an issue, like you're really angry all the time or you're really afraid or anxiety or you know you're believing false things, whatever it is, that stuff is really ripe. It's like right here. You can ask someone about getting oil and they're like, I don't know. But if you ask them, are you angry all the time? Yes. Like it's right here. And so to me, that thing that's right here, those things that block our connection with God, that's the easy part. That's normally the scary part and why people don't want to come in. We all have that stuff. That's the easy part. And we're supposed to tend our heart, guard our heart, let the Lord search you and know you. That's what freedom prayer is. You use that and get it cleared out so that you can learn how to have an abiding connection with God, so that you have oil. And so that's why I'm committed, that's why I like it. And it's, it's learning how to abide, that's the goal. Not to deal with all the stuff, the stuff we wanna deal with, but it's getting a heart that's connected. Um, another corporate place, Freedom Prayer is a corporate place. It's a couple people in a room on the team. They're, you know, they're like me, they're like you. They've, they've done their own work getting through the hindrances. Another place to get corporate oil that I love is prayer gathering. Um, it's like secret church, everybody learning together how to get this corporate place of oil. And I just wanna say, like, I'm not giving a commercial or getting some sort of prayer commission for this. Like, I feel like anytime someone stands up here and says, go to freedom prayer, people are like, what's the catch? There's no catch, it's free. There's nothing gained other than get oil. Like, I'm showing up to these places, even if I'm leading a prayer time and I'm not the person being prayed for, I'm getting splash off oil because I'm watching that person encounter God in a way that only God can. 
And my oil reserve goes, oh, he's exactly who he says he is. Just in case I forgot today, I just saw it play out in real time. He's exactly who he says he is, and he's showing up here. And my oil comes back. It starts to build back up. And a confession, I'm just confessing all the things this morning. Confession, sometimes I don't feel like going to those places. Hope that's helpful for you. Most of the time I do. I love those places, but sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'm tired or I'm distracted, but I obediently go because I am just desperate for oil. Even if I don't feel like it, I know that two minutes tops in a freedom prayer room, I'm going to watch God do the thing that I can't do. And I'm just not interested in being in spaces where I'm doing the thing that I can do. Prayer gatherings, the same. I could go just kind of slugging in there because it's been a long day. And about a minute, 30 seconds in, I'm like, oh, I feel the oil coming back because we're meeting him, we're adoring him. There's no agenda really other than to encounter him. I'm not interested in what you said at the beginning, playing the game, doing the church thing, showing up to things, staying up here when this parable says, you gotta fill this, this underlying hidden need. Um, One of my favorite pieces of this parable is the reality that when the groom Jesus is delayed, all the bridesmaids went to sleep. The foolish and the wise, they all went to sleep. It wasn't bad that they slept because they both did it. But if you're prepared in this place of abiding connection with Jesus, if you have the reserve over here, when that shout goes out that the groom has arrived, he's actually on the scene, and it will, you can jump up like a snap and be ready because you've built that reserve. Your physical body can grow weary in the waiting and you need to sleep, but your spirit is still longing. So when they say, he's here, you're like, I'm I'm up, I'm ready. It's like the bride in chapter five of Song of Solomon. And it says about her that she sleeps, but her spirit is awake. My, My church family, like we need to have spirits that are awake. So I'm showing up to prayer gathering and freedom prayer and worship nights because I'm cultivating oil and building my reserves so my spirit stays awake. Yeah. That's so good, Jen. I think it, it, it is easy to, to miss those things. And where I think especially when you, you kind of come in sometime and you're you don't feel like you get touched by the Lord. And it's not always that way, right? It's right. not always you just come in and have this incredible experience. I know a lot of you, man, you come in here every Sunday or you show up to prayer gathering and your heart is hungry. And just because you don't have the feeling, it doesn't mean the reserve's not no. being filled up. There's something about continuing to show up in God's presence. I think God's actually building some resiliency. Hey, will you show up when you don't get right. the thing that you're looking for immediately? Right. And and so I'm just, I'm grateful for you. You're the way that you live your life as a, you do all these things and you don't make a penny off of them. And so what I love about you is that you're a bridesmaid, not only taking care of your oil, but you're thinking about other people's oil. And to me, that's the full, that's where we need to get as followers of Jesus, where we're not just so concerned about us, we're reserved, we take care of ourselves, but then we're looking at the world because the reality is that we don't, you know, we don't want people to miss out on Jesus. We don't want them at the end of the age to be the 
bridesmaids that are left out. We want all people to be in there. And so I hear your heart in all this. So what, are, are there any other just practical takeaways for us today? Yeah. I, I know this is heavy conversation, and I know that for some of you it's new, and, and that's okay. It doesn't matter where you start on it. I know that when we start talking about the end of the age and the day of the Lord, we can start heading down some doomsday prepper rabbit trails, you know, <laughs> figuring out what's our survival game plan going to be and what's our escape route and let's stockpile a whole bunch of things. And I'm not judging if you're there. That's a, that's a normal response. But I start thinking about this parable and thinking about gathering oil. Um, um, when my grandparents were living in East Texas, I had a grandma and grandpa there and they just would harvest this amazing garden in their backyard. It was huge. And I would sit as a child at the table in East Texas and watch my grandmother can vegetables. And she would preserve them with like the sugar and the spices and get them all nice and tight in those little mason jars. And they would just line her pantry, mason jar after mason jar, mostly okra, because that's what good East Texas gardens have. Um, and so she was storing up while the weather was good she was storing up so that when the weather was harsher, she had a reserve. And every time I think about this parable, I just, I start thinking like that, like pantries lined up. One of the joys in my freedom prayer role is that I work with a lot of churches I'm here in Nashville too. And I get the privilege of being around churches and kind of hearing what ethos, what our reputation is, what we're known for. And we're known for a lot of good things, and I'm, I'm really thankful for that. But what if we were known for stockpiling spiritual oil? If I had like one wish, one prayer, what if this place, for all the good things that we're known for, in this climate, in this weather, we were known for stockpiling oil, like vats of it, storehouses of oil, um, a huge reserve, individually, on our own with the Lord, and then corporately together. Um, the spiritual weather right now, it's okay. Um, compared to other parts of the world, it looks pretty good. But I would say, you know, storm clouds brewing. But we're okay right now. So while the weather's good, let's get the oil um, while we can so that we have it and have it in reserve for when times are a little harsher to getting things that are green. Um, that would be my hope. That's takeaway number one. Um, the last takeaway, the most sobering part of this passage for me, it prompts the takeaway is that at one time, all the bridesmaids had oil. Um, they all had it, at least in some amount, and then some ran out because they neglected seeking the source of fuel. And maybe, you know, we don't know why, Maybe it was laziness, maybe it was ignorance, maybe it was distraction, even distraction with really good things like doing work for the Lord. Maybe it was self-satisfaction, maybe it was denial. I don't know, but the oil ran out. And when that shout went out and the groom was on the scene and, and the announcer says, he's here, he's shown up, um, those foolish bridesmaids, they don't jump up and go, what do we need to do? What did we miss? What do we need to, to do? What's our next step? They look at their wise friends and they say, give me your oil. Like that wrecks me. 
They weren't missing it. They weren't in the dark. They wake up from a slumber and they knew exactly what they were supposed to have. This thing that they should have gotten a hold of long time ago. And those wise bridesmaids, when their friends said, let me borrow just a little bit. They're wise, they're not mean, they're wise. They go, no, we need it. Go back to the sellers and get the thing that you should have gotten a long time ago. Basically, go back to start. And it's not a good time to do it, but you, you can't go forward without oil. And this part wrecks me. It's sobering. It's a warning. It follows Matthew 24 on purpose. Spiritual intimacy cannot be borrowed. Salvation does not always equal spiritual intimacy. You could read a ton of good books. You could listen to a ton of good podcasts. You could listen to sermons. That is not you yourself cultivating spiritual intimacy and getting oil. In this parable, when the foolish ones finally go get it and they knock on the door to get into the party, the wedding feast, um, Jesus says to them, the groom, truly I say to you, I do not know you. And he says that a couple different places in the vicinity of these scriptures. It's the same in Matthew 22 at another wedding feast. We have to pay attention where the guests don't put on the garment that's been given and they knock and try to get in and they can't. It's the same in Matthew 7 when they say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do all the really super a plus things that Christians do. And he says, but I did not know you. It wrecks me. It's the same response of those whose love grows cold. They were in the church and they, their love, their passion, their burning light heart trickles out. And we wanna be a church family, at least in my opinion. Again, it's my, my prayer, my hope. It's why I'm showing up. We wanna be a church family with bags of oil, oil and oil and oil dripping with the battle, but simultaneously dripping with oil. Please hear me on this. I, I have been watching and waiting for the Lord for a long time. And I want to be around and be a part of that end of the age church. I know we start talking about these things and it can feel a little scary. I wanna be around for that. That is gonna be her finest hour. I've been waiting for it. I wanna smell like the battle and I want oil just dripping off of me. Single-minded focus, direct focus, nothing else mattering on the beloved groom returning for his bride to make all things new for the government to finally be on his shoulders, to receive his counsel up close, face to face, physically seeing him, spiritually seeing him. It's not scary, it's exhilarating. If you have some fear this morning, I'm, I'm not gonna tie it up pretty in a bow. I know we like to do that sometimes. I like to do that sometimes, but I'm not. Um, if you have fear, good. Let it be a healthy fear of the Lord and the kindness of his warning here. Let it be a healthy fear of the Lord that leads to wisdom. There's bad fear and there's good fear. Good fear gives you wisdom. And let it be wisdom that prompts you to action. 
to reschedule your day, your life, your heart posture to get oil. That's, that's the takeaway. Yeah. That's a good takeaway. We all need to wrestle. I wrestle with it all the time. Fear that leads to wisdom, wisdom that leads to action. Yeah, and, and so this morning, the way that we want to just kind of wrap up this, this time is by just giving us a minute with the Lord to just be really honest in the presence of the Lord and ask God to reveal some things to us. And, and so, you know, for, for us, my only ask is that we would just enter this time of prayer, and Jen's going to lead it through, that we would just open come open-handed and open-hearted and just to be really honest. And so Jen's going Jen's to pray for us, and after our time of of, of communal prayer, we're going to send you to communion. And so yeah. I'll let you lead us into that. Yeah, so I, I invite you, sort of like Will was praying and speaking at the beginning, sort of like Brandon was doing when we started, don't, don't transition just yet. I know it's in our nature on Sundays, like, okay, we're done with the teaching and we got to go to the next thing. Please, 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 like, don't leave here this morning without encountering the Lord in whatever way he has that for you. Don't, don't do the church thing and go, well, that was different and move on. Like, don't miss what the Lord has this morning. We're supposed to show up and meet with him. Church was never supposed to be this up here thing that we just kind of walk in, walk out, and try to erase whatever the Spirit of God was doing in here. And so I'm going to help just help you step into the presence of God in prayer, and we're going to ask him some questions, and one of those will be your next step. I urge you this morning, if the Lord was speaking to you and you go, I have zero oil, no reserve, none in my tank, I don't even know if I know him, Brandon and others will be down here, don't leave here without saying but I, but I want to. Like, that's what church is. There's no shame in that. There's a respond banner. And it, I'm just being honest, grieves me all the time when, when that respond, that respond banner should be flooded every Sunday. That respond banner says, help me. And if we come in here and we're like, I don't need help, foolish bridesmaid. Like, there are people ready. If you just need to go tell someone I have some oil, but I know it's not enough, and I am desperate to get more. Or here's the reason why I don't have the oil I should. Here's the thing. Like, go. Go get prayer. Maybe your response today is to turn to the person next to you and honestly just say, I don't have any. I don't have enough during communion. Like, that confession is step one. It says, I'm putting in the light this thing that nobody can see. Now I want you to see it. I just sat up here and told you, I'm supposed to be good at this. I lost the reserve, and I had only about 75% left. And, and I've done this for a long time. Like, it's, there's no shame in that. That's the body being the body. So I'm, I'm just going to invite you right now just to close your eyes and draw your heart near to the bridegroom king who can't stop thinking about you. His delight is in you, the church. His love for you is unchanging. It doesn't change. He is delighted in you. You are his best prize. 
And this bridegroom king, he's the good shepherd. He shepherds your heart better than anybody else. And he knows every little hidden corner that you try to keep away from him. He knows your reserve. So you can get close to that wonderful counselor, that mighty God, that prince of peace. And just ask him in your own words, Jesus, can you show me honestly, where's my oil at? Do I have a reserve? Is my tank half full? Show me honestly and give me the heart to see it as it really is. And just ask him that right now. And as he begins to show you and as you listen, in that place, there's no shame, there's no guilt. He disciplines, he convicts, he speaks to the ones he loves. If you're seeing or hearing something that you're surprised by, thank him. Or maybe you already knew, thank him that he knows too. The fact that you know and he's speaking and he's, he's convicting your heart says you're a son, you're a daughter. And in that place, just ask him, Jesus, this morning, what's my next step? What's the next step I take? What would you have me do to start building it back? just begin to thank him today because this message is supposed to burn. It's supposed to, this parable, convict. It's the most gracious, loving warning, and getting oil is what we were made for. So thank him, Jesus. Thank you that you did not leave us as orphans. You did not abandon us. There is oil to be found. We're supposed to be overflowing. Jesus, I want to be overflowing with oil. You can tell him that in your own words. Jesus, we just open-handedly admit our need and our deficit corporately and individually. And we say, teach us, lead us to places to find oil. Draw us in, it's what we were made for. We wanna be a people who have a reserve, storehouses of oil. Jesus, it's in your name, thank you. Thank you that you are who you say you are. Thank you that you're coming back to make it right. We love you. Amen. Amen. As you go to communion, take that next step. Do not leave here today without gathering some oil. It's why we're here. It's what we're made for. Yes, I invite you to stand now and to go to the table and grab a piece of bread, cup of juice. You can come to the respond banner, come up front, come back to your seats.